like there are many parallels between what is happening at the global level and at the state level in the United States. There's also a sense of, that progress is being made and, and that there's good reason to double down on some of these clean energy commitments and some of the broader socioeconomic objectives that they're connected to. Hello and welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy Security and Climate Change Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Highland. Last month, Thousands of climate and clean energy experts went to New York Climate Week and to the Global Clean Energy Action Forum in Pittsburgh, part of the Clean Energy Ministerial. They went to share ideas and policies, advocate for innovative technologies, and to build community to combat climate change. These events, along with the UN General Assembly meetings, are often seen as indicators of the initiatives and the ambition we might see from governments at the COP meetings later this fall. With us today are three colleagues who attended New York Climate Week and or the meetings in Pittsburgh. Kartikeya Singh. Kartikeya is Director of Global Energy Futures Initiative with the Climate Imperative Foundation and a non-resident associate with CSIS. Sandeep Pai, who leads the Global Just Transition Network at CSIS. And Morgan Higman, who leads the US state work at CSIS, as well as the Clean Resilient States Initiative. These three share takeaways from the conversations that happened in New York and Pittsburgh around innovation, clean energy technologies, and just transitions, as well as looking ahead to the COP meetings in November and to next year's clean energy ministerial meetings that'll take place in India. Here's Morgan to lead the conversation. Well, Sandeep, Kartike, thank you so much for joining us. I'm related to reflect back on some of the big events from last week. They included the Global Clean Energy Action Forum and Climate Week in New York, both of these events brought together several prominent government officials and policymakers from many countries, as well as representatives from industry, investors, financiers, technical experts, and policy wonks like ourselves. These events focus on a lot of topics, technologies, job opportunities, industrial challenges, and opportunities for countries to come together and learn from one another. I thought we could start with you, Carter Kay, and hear about some of your high-level takeaways from Climate Week New York. Yeah, thanks, Morgan. So I think one of the important things to note here is that Climate Week is usually considered a very important pit stop, if you will, just before the COPs, which happen later in the year. And this year in particular, after all the energy of COP26, this Climate Week, and in fact, this entire week of uh, not just Climate Week, but the SEM and the Mission Innovation gatherings matter quite a bit. You hear rumblings from environmental groups and, and various other corners that COP27 in Egypt this year just won't have the same energy as COP26. And, and rightly so. I mean, I think there's a lot that went into COP26. I think there's probably a feeling that maybe countries have, have backtracked or haven't fully gotten on track to deliver on their promises from COP26. And then, of course, just the, the looming sort of threat of COP27 being more gas-focused, and that causes a little bit of concern about whether or not we're on track to meet our climate commitments and, and targets. And of course, Climate Week always is held on, on the sidelines of UNGA, of the UN General Assembly. So it allows us to sort of pull in lots of really great actors, and it becomes a really awesome platform to launch new events. So I was kind of looking out for, for some of these things and, and all sorts of topics were being covered, right? Uh, I found myself kind of running uh, uptown, downtown, trying to make a variety of different meetings in just to sort of be able to 
catch a little bit of the flavor of everything and to be able to have some substantive discussions and, and listen closely on the topics that mattered to me. There was a number of topics that I focused and zeroed in on. I would say the things that, that stood out to me were, well, let's take, for example, the announcements and the statements being made in the General Assembly. I think the most powerful one was by the Prime Minister from Pakistan, a clarion call to really accelerate climate action, given what we have seen happen there in this year's unprecedented monsoon, where a third of the country is underwater. And I think it's really important to see this, this strong statement from this country in South Asia, which is in a neighborhood facing all kinds of challenges, including security, traditional security challenges, and some serious economic challenges. They are partners with China in this China-Pakistan economic corridor, which has incredible amounts of investments going into the country on the infrastructure, including on fossil fuel assets. So this is really an interesting moment in time for Pakistan, which is suffering as a result of climate change, to think also about how it deals with its impacts and how it builds climate-aligned infrastructure and a conversation that I think we hope will happen between Pakistan and China moving forward. The other really interesting announcement that came out from the week was the launch of the Global Offshore Wind Alliance. I mean, I think this is this is something that is going to be so hugely disruptive. I mean, as a technology, there's incredible amounts of untapped coastline around the world in so many of these countries. There are all kinds of issues that need to be resolved. You know, how do you deal with permitting in this environment? What kinds of technologies work? How do you structure projects? And there's so many learnings that need to be accelerated from regions that have made this happen, particularly in Scandinavia and the North Sea region, that can be shared with uh, the United States, as we see offshore wind taking off here, but also India, where there's going to be tenders, China, which is already doing such incredible work in accelerating their offshore wind industry. So this alliance trying to, I forget what the actual percentage is, but going from something like 60 gigawatts of offshore wind today to I think somewhere around, I can't remember, it was several hundreds of gigawatts by, by 2030, that was the target. It was like a 600% increase is quite remarkable. So this industry government partnership led in part by the Danish government, no surprise, is one to watch. And I was very pleased to see the launch of this alliance because I think this industry and this field needs this. Also, you know, I, I sat in on some really interesting conversations or events focused on renewable energy, 100% renewable energy campaign led by the climate group. What are the challenges that some of the companies that are trying to green their supply chain are facing in terms of regulatory environments where they would perhaps be more progressive than the local environment in which they operate? And what are the ways in which they can meet their targets and bring the countries along? I think that's something that still needs continued focus. And then there was, I happened to witness the Global Sustainable Electricity Partnership was having an interesting dialogue between key members, CEO members of the electric utilities that are a part of it, including, I mean, unfortunately, the Chinese state-owned utilities were not at the table, but there was one from Morocco, there was American Electric Power, there was Enel, there was LG and Schneider uh, on the panel, but they signed something called the Catalyzing Electrifying Everything Accord. I think that's what it was called. And it was just interesting to see the pillars of this and the discussion that the electrifying everything agenda, which is where we need to head, is 
part and parcel of the decarbonizing agenda and that utilities are kind of stepping up and hopefully they'll be able to, to galvanize more utilities around the world, both public as well as private, to, to really speed up the electrification agenda and simultaneously decarbonize their uh, electricity supply. The final bit that I paid some close attention to was, uh, and again, this is where Climate Week and where it's situated in, in the time frame of this year is important is, is the conversations on just transition. And I know that Sandeep can cover a little bit more of this, but in New York, there were some really interesting discussions about where we are on the just energy transition partnerships. Where are we in, in what's happened post the announcement last year of South Africa, delivering on the commitment by the G7 and donors to, to their transition plans, the challenges that they're facing, uh, but also readying for what countries might be in line for JetP next, for a JetP package. There was talk of, is Egypt one of those places, given that COP27 is there? Of course, it's not not a coal heavy place. I think it'd be more of a gas, uh, fossil gas play. And then there's also Indonesia, which is important for this year, given uh, that they, uh, they are chair of the G20. So these are the two areas that I think are emerging, but obviously India also matters in this and how uh, India participates in the process. There was a really interesting panel that I attended where there was a senior official from Gauteng province in South Africa and an environment and climate change secretary from the state of Maharashtra, which signed on to the race to zero last year, as you recall, and the Scottish Minister of Environment talking about what just, just transition means for their particular regions and, and how they hope to participate in the process moving forward or execute on the one that in the case of the South African province, you know, how they participate in that moving forward. They're not a coal-rich province, but they have a lot of other services they can provide for the energy transition economy. So, I mean, I think, and that theme, of course, carried over into the Clean Energy Ministry and the Global Clean Energy Action Forum, which I'd love to hear more about, because obviously CSIS has been very involved in that. So, a lot happened in Climate Week, and it's a lot, it's a lot to keep track of, and I think I'm still learning about the different kinds of announcements and things that were happening offside that we'll learn from and participate in. Thanks so much for that review, Carter K. Uh, Sandeep, you played a prominent role in organizing some events around just transitions at the Clean Energy Ministerial. Could you tell us about those? Yeah, thanks, Morgan. It's great to be here with both of you. I love talking to both of you. So I think before we talk about just transition, let me spend like a minute or two talking about what happened at SEM generally. And then we, from there, we'll go into the just transition question. So I think one of the key things that came out of this is that I noticed that governments are now talking about doing demonstration projects. And they have committed to spending about $100 billion to do demonstration projects for clean energy. And I think that's quite significant because that's the beginning of lowering the cost of some of these technologies. So that I think was one big international announcement where US also participated in. The second announcement is also very interesting is that where different governments, mostly G7 plus, announced that they are going to only use zero emission vehicles by 2035 for their own use. So what, what government uses, you know, governments in various ministries in different countries they use a lot of vehicles and so all those vehicles will be zero emission by 2035 and i think that's a very interesting and an important step because they do use a lot of vehicles and once they deploy evs at scale i think that can diffuse to 
normal general public as well slowly. So these were some really big international announcements where many countries collectively announced these measures. From US side, I think the two interesting ones, and I think I will, once I finish my answer, I will pass this back to Morgan because you are an expert on this. One of the announcements was DOA's Regional Clean Hydrogen Hubs Program, which I think is going to be quite significant. The world is watching. If it works out really well in US, there's a very high chance that this model could be replicated elsewhere as well. There's other initiatives that DOA announced, including carbon management programs for about $5 billion, industrial heat, Earthshot, etc. But those are all really interesting and important announcements. The ones that happen at the international level with other governments, also the ones that are for domestic U.S. companies. But one of the most interesting pillars of this global clean energy action forum for me was the focus on just transition. The last COP was the first COP, I would say, where the focus on just transition was quite significant with South Africa signing a just energy transition deal with G7 countries for about $8.5 billion. Taking the momentum forward on just transition, this Global Clean Energy Action Forum really made just transition as a key pillar for the event. We hosted a very interesting panel with stakeholders from Coal India, which is the world's largest coal mining company, to UN, uh, to International Energy Agency, to US government, DOE, representatives from DOE. And it was an extremely interesting discussion. And if I were to summarize that discussion that happened, I think you have to think of just transition in terms of two, you know, you can call it hard elements and the soft elements. And I think the focus on both would be really important. So hard elements is strategies around repurposing coal assets, strategies around how companies or regions can diversify. And these are very complex questions that from US to India are facing uh, such issues because there's so many regions within these countries that are so deeply economically and socially dependent. So, so some hard elements, there were serious discussions about these hard elements ranging from community engagement to repurposing, but also, I don't know if soft element is a right word, but for the lack of a better word, I'm using soft elements. There were also a lot of discussions about culture and food and how for so many communities that have generationally been dependent on these resources, it's also a question of like culture and you know music and so on. And there was no clear answer on how you could actually address that. But it was just fascinating how these questions, even though countries are so different, these questions were similar in different countries. And so that was a major highlight. Beyond our event, there were many events on Just Transition. Some of it was private events that were hosted between ministers, and some of it was open events focusing on issues from gender, gender and just transition to justice and just transition and various others. So I think from a just transition point of view, this really built momentum towards COP because COP is happening in Africa this time. I think questions of just energy transition are going to become even more significant given that South Africa had signed the deal and they're going to come back to this COP and ask those questions whether that funding is coming or you know when that funding is coming and how that partnership will move forward. And the last point I would just want to say is that 
more part, such partnerships as Kartikeya was mentioning, the Just Energy Transition Partnerships, are the talks for those partnerships are underway, focusing on Indonesia, Vietnam, India being a major player. Given G20 will happen in India next year, the momentum towards such Just Transition Partnerships is only going to increase. So that was my experience, but I would like to hear more about the other events, Morgan, you attended, especially about hydrogen and hydrogen hubs. I think that was very interesting. It would be great to hear from you. Yes, thank you so much, Sandeep. I spent some time in Pittsburgh meeting with many state-level officials at the conference, and it sounds like there are many parallels between what is happening at the global level and at the state level in the United States. There's a sense, as you say, Kartike, of, of some temporary backsliding or some challenges given the global energy crises and supply chain challenges and so on. But there's also a sense of, that progress is being made and, and that there's good reason to double down on some of these clean energy commitments and some of the broader socioeconomic objectives that they're connected to. So I attended different panels on hydrogen, offshore wind, electric vehicles, and I think that one of the things that stood out to me was the diversity of states that were participating. Some of those we might think of as more traditional climate leaders like New York, but also states that have more recently made commitments. And I think there's a tremendous amount of interest in hydrogen and offshore wind because these industries will provide domestic opportunities in terms of jobs to support efforts like the Just Transitions, but also to ensure that there's more community buy-in on some of these technologies where maybe climate is not the foremost consideration. I also think that states are moving into some of these more international platforms with a lot of interest in making sure that their communities are at the table for some of these negotiations and are able to contribute to some of these broader goals. In particular, Sandeep, you were talking about the reuse of this infrastructure and developments for worker transitions, including workforce development maybe, but also economic diversification more broadly. I think there's a lot of need and a lot of desire to both develop models that can be replicated and to learn from other subnational governments around the world. And so that was really interesting to hear about. You talked a little bit about the hydrogen announcement that was made. That was for the funding opportunity announcement from the Department of Energy. And that will be a, a tremendous opportunity that I think many states have already made a lot of effort to think about and prepare for. We've seen a lot of memorandums of understanding among collections of states that think that they have competitive advantages. This is a competitive funding opportunity, and we have the sense that maybe only six to eight hubs will be funded in this initial round. But that's great because it encourages interstate collaboration, and hopefully it will ensure that some of these benefits are spread around in, in a way that supports a national network for our, a new hydrogen economy. Of course, there's also discussion about opportunities to export this resource and connect growing supply to demand that will be needed around the world. I think the U.S. is probably not there just yet in terms of readiness to commit to that scale. But there's a lot of interest in, in thinking 5 and 10 and 15 years down the road. As Kartike said, I, I would agree offshore wind is set to be very disruptive, but so too might hydrogen. The other sort of significant announcement, I think, was around carbon management programs, which are also widely viewed as an opportunity to bring together innovation, job opportunities, and in particular, ensure that there are some industrial opportunities in some communities that might be facing some economic challenges associated with the phase-out of fossil fuels. 
so it's interesting to hear the parallels at the subnational level and the national level. And I think that we'll see continued conversation around those topics. Sandeep, do you have any more reflections on these topics? Yeah, one of the key themes that which I didn't mention in my opening statement was the theme of subnationals collaborating. Now we have seen this collaboration and Kartikeya can really speak to this uh, between US and Indian states, but this is the first time I was witnessing the seeds of collaboration between Indian and US states on just transition. We had participating states like Jharkhand, which are so coal dependent, and we had Colorado, which has done quite a bit of work on just transition. And I think one of the things, although this was not part of the formal agenda, but because they met there, you know, they spent time together, they talked about the questions that matter. What we are seeing as a result is that now these states are starting to talk about, talk with each other about just transition and how you can take that agenda forward because there's so much learnings and lessons around these topics between states. So, so it was really encouraging to see both US states and states from around the world trying to come together on these very, very important topics. And I, I know that there's been a lot of experience with that with regards to clean energy, but encouraging to see that happening with regards to just transition and all. But I don't know, Kartikya, did you see anything? You have done so much work on this, bringing together US and Indian states. Did you see any such conversations either at the Climate Week or at SEM? between states, not necessarily Indian and US states, but any states from around the world, subnationals in particular? Yeah, I think the main place that I saw this happen was a the, the CSIS event where we had the official from Colorado in the same room as the official from Jharkhand, where they are setting up a just transition task force, understanding process tools and Institutional arrangements, I think, matter in these conversations between states. Obviously, the concerns of communities might be slightly different depending on the geography and the opportunity for transition will also be slightly different. But understanding how to shepherd the process for the transition, I think, is ultimately at the core of what's driving this desire to connect on this. You know, it's interesting to see also where revenue for transition comes in some of these places, you know, in a place like India where district mineral funds might already be capitalized uh, yet not utilized can play an important role to feed the transition process in in Indian coal rich states whereas you know i forget who i was listening to about a conversation where or maybe it was south korea actually in chungnam province where the province managed to get banks to capitalize a just transition fund as part of, if I understood correctly, not CSR, but something similar where they had money and it was a fully capitalized fund, if, if I understood it correctly. But, you know, I think the, the panel at Climate Week on just transition that had such different geographies, right, a state like Maharashtra, where they're squarely in the middle of needing to talk about coal phase down, but also have a renewable energy opportunity, unlike some of the more eastern states of India, where the renewable energy opportunity might not be so large, juxtaposing it with a, a province in South Africa, which isn't coal rich, 
but might be at the center of critical minerals processing and battery manufacturing and, and geothermal and maybe other things and, and how they view their relations to uh, the regions just to their east versus the, the Scottish example, right? Where I think they're really trying to share their story of how they've managed the just transition process from a fossil extractives economy to one that's now capitalizing on offshore wind. And, and again, the themes of communities not being left behind, listening, being inclusive, we're all there. And I think we're at a, at a moment in time where we have, we're thankfully being mindful of these things as opposed to leaving people out of the process and letting technology do its thing. So yeah, some very interesting threads on the subnational front. And I hope that that just sort of gets turbocharged moving forward from different corners of the world. Yeah, I, I just add to that, Kurt, that I think that for some time now, there have been discussions of just transition thinking about exposure and sensitivity in these communities to economic shifts, but increasingly there's conversations about adaptive capacity and what can some of these new technologies offer some of these communities. And I totally agree with you that it will not be the same from one community to another, but there are some meaningful conversations being had about infrastructure and workforce development, as well as those historic mm -hmm. cultural values, which I thought was an especially interesting part of the conversation we had for just transitions with the US and India. And on that note, I'd just like to note also the significance of the fact that this conference was held in Pittsburgh, which was a city that was built on coal and steel and this converted mm -hmm. some of its old coal plants into renewable energy hubs and is focused on the manufacturing of solar and has really sought to invest in entrepreneurial opportunities for sustainable investment. And this revitalization is a notable part of the ambiance and the surroundings for this conversation. So that was really neat. So as we think about the future of these conversations, when we're looking toward the Conference of Parties or COP27, do you have any reflections on what these events might mean and what else we should be thinking about for climate and energy transitions, Sandeep? Yeah, thank you. I think this too, not just at COP, but next year, India is taking over the presidency of G20. And so the Global Clean Energy Action Forum is going to be held in India. Uh, I think one of, the, one of the most interesting climate finance opportunities, which is called the Just Energy Transition Partnership, is taking shape between G7 countries and countries like India, Indonesia, Vietnam, and others. As you may recall, or as the listeners may recall, uh, last year, there was a major announcement between South Africa and G7 countries that the G7 will uh, provide a funding of about $8.5 billion for South Africa to undertake its just energy transition. The same kind of partnership negotiation is currently going on between India and G7 and Indonesia and G7 and others. One of the key things that I want to see India and others do is to create a national action plan on just energy transition, because without that kind of plan, I'm not sure what India is asking for, and I'm not sure what G7 is providing for. So I, I would not want to see another announcement without this kind of concrete plan at both ends of what they're funding and what India is asking for. Because once you know the big picture of, you know, like this is, the 50 projects we will do to enable just transition in the country. Then you can go to G7 and say from India's side that, hey, we need money for first three. 
and same goes for G7. I know I'm simplifying a complex process, but I think it's it's quite important that that happens. Otherwise, to achieve these climate goals, this is going to be yet another announcement, and I fear that that will happen. And I I want to push India at the domestic front, but also G7 to push India to create such a plan. That's that I think is a must watch because that will really address energy transition, especially focusing on coal, especially focusing on very highly coal dependent countries. But I think we need to set the processes right. All right, a little less talk and a lot more action. That's Sandeep's call. Uh, Karthike, do you have any final comments for us? I think I agree with Sandeep that you know there needs to be a plan. And the central government, particularly in a place like India, will have a role to play. But I think the way I see it is it'll be state by state, like it'll have to be state packages for a country as big as India, right? And and so it's up to the government, the, the central government to coordinate with the states to figure out which states are transition ready and what that pathway looks like to still also be able to have affordable clean energy access and do a phase down and and manage, you know, government revenue shortfalls and things like that. And then the, the central level, of course, with a bit will be the big sort of state-owned enterprises that they manage. And this is where the great stuff that Coal India and NTPC and others are doing really matters. And their transition planning matters because they must continue to sort of power and be a part of the growth story of India moving forward. And then that sort of leads to what it's, I think, quite significant that India hosts next year. And there's a lot of, a lot rides on that, right? A lot more participation from the global south because of where India is situated. India being the host of the International Solar Alliance and the One World, One Sun, One World, One Grid effort that looks to sort of electrify everything and, and transport green electrons across straight borders, it being at the helm of the G20 next year. So I think I'm expecting it to be quite an important time for the country to kind of position itself and, and to be able to bring a lot of global actors into the sort of just energy transition conversation in the coming year. And yes, lots more action needed in the lead up to there. Lots more action and lots more subnational involvement. I echo that sentiment. Even in the U.S., I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the implementation of some of the new federal initiatives in the United States. Thank you both so much for joining me for this conversation today. Thanks to Morgan Sandeep and Kartikeya. There's links in our program description to some of the meetings and to the side event that CSIS held in Pittsburgh. You can find more episodes of Energy 360 wherever you listen to podcasts and at csisout.org. As always, follow us on Twitter for updates at CSIS Energy, and thanks for listening.